once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Many of us grew up singing hymns in church, and many times we wouldn't sing the whole hymn, but just a verse or two. With the gospel, though, we need to sing the full song. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series A Season of Anticipation with this sermon entitled Embrace the Way, which covers Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Father, thanks for this time together, Lord, and thank you for the great, great privilege to gather together to open your word and to hear from you. And so, Lord, we pray and ask that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word and that you would, uh, you would soften our hearts Lord, would you convict us for those of us who need to be convicted? Would you encourage for those that need to be encouraged? But most of all, Father, would you draw us near to you and show us our great need for you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can in our hearts and for your glory, we pray. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us, you know that we've been in a series here uh, for the month of December uh, through this Advent season and uh, we're finishing that up this, uh, well, today, and then we'll, we'll hit on it a little more on Tuesday. But uh, a great time for us to consider what does it mean uh, to be in Advent, to be in the Advent season. And Advent comes from the Latin meaning coming, that there is something or someone great coming. And so for us as Christians, we have to remember that that's, uh, that's Advent for the first coming of Christ, that, we are, we, that God's people were awaiting for a very long time for the Messiah to come, for Christ to come, but that we are in a time of waiting now. And we even opened our service with it this morning and here in the sanctuary of, of just this, this song talking about this season of winter, if you will, that, but we are waiting because we know the promises of God and the promise of Jesus that he will come again. And so for believers in Jesus, we are, uh, we're always in Advent season, not just as we think about his first coming, but as we think daily in the daily life of a believer, the hope the great joy that he is gonna come again. And this time, he's not coming to take the sword, so to speak, as he did the first time for our sins, but the second time he's coming wielding the sword, uh, coming in a day of judgment, which will be a glorious day for those who know him, and a day of, of, uh, of great, great pain and sorrow for those that don't. But he will be coming as the triumphant king when he comes again. And so a lot of this series has been actually getting us, hopefully getting us to think more in that direction. We felt as a team, we already do a good job for the most part this time of year of looking back, Uh, but we do a, a somewhat poor job probably of looking forward. The language we've been using is remember back to his first coming and all the implications that are coming with that or that have come with that in terms of forgiveness of sin, uh, renewing of heart, the, the joy of knowing God in Christ now, receiving his Holy Spirit, walking in newness of life, uh, all the things that come with his first coming, but then also remembering forward, which is an interesting phrase, but what we're saying is to remember what he said about what he will do and that he will come again. And with that, all the implications that uh, this already not yet kingdom of God that we're in now where we still experience despair and the effects of sin upon this world and upon our bodies and upon this life, 
will be completely done away with and all things will be made new and all sad things will come untrue and we will be uh, reigning with Jesus forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we look to that day in this Advent season as well. And so as a part of this series, we've been talking about things about awaiting that day. We've been talking about preparing the way for that day as we think of the teachings of John the Baptist. Uh, Today, I want us to consider what does it look like to embrace the way, Christ's way. And as we do that, I want to just kind of intro it with saying this. I don't have to convince you that there are a lot of um, emotions and feelings that are natural to the human experience. Uh, we, we naturally feel happiness, sadness, grief, joy, sorrow, nervousness, um, elation, excitement, fear, so on and so forth. These are natural emotions to the human experience. But what I want to dig into just a little bit is the, is the reality that with each of those emotions come uh, longings that are, that are birthed out of those emotions. And for example, if you take elation or take excitement, um, you go to, let's say you love Six Flags. You love roller coasters, and so you spend a day at the park riding roller coasters, and you love it, but there's a longing that comes out of an experience like that where you feel the adrenaline all day, you feel the elation and the excitement all day, but that longing is birthed when you're leaving that parking lot, and it's a longing for, I want to do that again. I hate that that ended. I wanna, when do I get to come back? So there's a longing that is birthed out of that emotion. There's longings that are birthed out of every emotion. And the one that I want to zoom in this morning on is fear. What's birthed out of fear? There's a lot of things that are birthed out of fear. But there's three in particular longings of the human heart that I want us to think about this morning. The first one is, and they're all in question form. The first one is, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? There's this sense of longing that comes with fear of a lot of times just not knowing what to do or maybe where to go. Second question, and I'll give more around these in just a moment, but the second question is, will I be alone? Am I alone? Is anybody going to be with me? Is anybody with me? These are questions that are birthed out of fear. The third one I want us to think about is, um, where is my security? Am I gonna feel safe? Am I safe? Is my sense of security that I had at one point coming back? These are all things that just naturally come out of the common human experience and emotion of fear. And, and it starts at the earliest of ages. I want you to think about if you're a young parent, when you drop your kid off at the nursery, even in, in our downtown nursery area, if, you're, if you have a child that just does not want to go, what is it that they, if they could articulate it, what would they be articulating? As you hand them to a stranger in their minds, they're going, what, what do I do? What, what is this about? What am I about to do here? They're thinking, am I alone? Are you giving me away? Am I, do I no longer know What's happening here in terms of who's with me? And am I gonna be alone in this room and I don't know any of these people? And then the third one is, when are you coming back? <laughs> am I gonna feel safe again? Am I gonna feel a sense of security in your arms? It's, it's the first day of school. It's moving to a new town or moving to a new school. It's taking the new job. It's trying to start over after a divorce. 
It's after the loss of a loved one, a husband, a father, a mother, a wife, maybe even a child. It's, it's all that comes with fear and the core questions that come with that are what do I do? Am I alone? And will I be safe? Where is my security? You think about, for those of you that have had children, is that not exactly what you feel when you have your first child? Uh, what do we do? Are we alone in this? I feel alone. Are, is anybody going to help us? And uh, am I ever going to feel secure as a parent? Uh, I've been a parent now for 15 years. Samuel, our oldest, we adopted when he was three. And so my children are 17, 12, 11, and 7, 8 next month. And the answer to that question is no. You will never, never feel secure as a parent. Because there's always fear that is arising in the heart of parents about what if and how do we handle this and uh, I feel alone in how to deal with this thing. Like we're, we're not really letting our children do the whole social media thing. And let me tell you, we feel alone in that in many ways because parents all over the place are like, here, go ahead, have it. And, and Rachel and I are like, are we alone in this battle? We know we're not. We've talked to many of you, but I'm talking about the world at large. It's like, okay, I think we're alone in this. But these are the questions that come out of fear. These are the longings of the human heart. And there's a passage in Scripture that you, if you've been in or around church for any length of time, you've probably heard before, but maybe not so much in answer to these questions. And it's what we've commonly called the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let me read it real quick for you. It says this. Says, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I want you to think about the context of what's happening here. These are the very last words of Jesus recorded for us in the book of Matthew. So in other words, this is what, in, in the other Gospels as well, this is what Jesus says just before he ascends back into heaven, which means these are what he wants them hearing last. The last thing I want you hearing is this, and he says these, these words. And with that, we have to think about what was the context for these disciples, and I want you to think about what were, what were they possibly feeling? What were they most likely feeling? And I want to propose to you, they were fearful. I would imagine that I would be incredibly fearful because we, we have to go back even further back in the story to remember what was true of these disciples as they were waiting for the Messiah to come, the first advent, the first coming of Christ. Well, they were expecting, and we've talked about this in this series, but they were expecting a Messiah who would come, who would show up, uh, ready to take over militarily, politically, to go into uh, to Rome and overthrow the Roman Empire and to give Israel back their kingdom that they haven't had in over half a millennia. And they were longing for the days of, of, of great flourishing like they had under the kingdom of David and Solomon 
when the kingdom was united and when they were rich and when they were powerful and they were conquering all the nations around them. But there had been a long season where that wasn't happening. So what they were longing for was a savior who they had misunderstood would come the first time to do just that. Jesus shows up on the scene and he's not doing those things. He's actually not coming as a conquering king. He is a king, but he's coming as a suffering servant. He's talking things about, I'm gonna die He told him several times over and over again. He said, uh, the son of man will be crucified. And then on the third day, he will raise again. And they're going, "Uh, uh, what? We don't have categories for that. Peter at one point even rebukes him and says, Jesus, this must not happen with you. And Jesus rebukes him back and says, get behind me, Satan. And don't you know, Peter was like, whoa, hold up. When did I become Satan here? I just didn't want you to die. And he says, you don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. You don't understand why I'm coming. I'm not coming to rescue you from what's out there oppressing you. I'm coming to rescue you from what's inside of you that's oppressing you. Sin, your own heart. What you need more than deliverance from the Romans is deliverance from the oppression of sin that has separated you from God himself. And this is the message that Jesus came with. Those who wanna be first must first be last. He came to give his life as a ransom for many and they did not understand it. So much so that when he did go to the cross, they all left him. And they're cowering in the upper room, not knowing where he is or what's happening. And then he's raised from the dead and they, they, they don't know what to think, but they're elated because they're thinking, okay, uh, I think I, things are starting to make sense a little bit. But remember, they don't have the empowering uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit yet. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, remember, he says, before I go, this is John chapter 14, he says, before I go, uh, it is better for you that I go because when I go, you will receive the helper, capital H, Holy Spirit. That happens in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is birthed out into the hearts of people, meaning that now they are illuminated of understanding and power to understand what all this is about and what God has been up to from the very beginning and that there's two comings, not one, And he's come once and he's gonna come again and all this begins to make sense, but not yet. So here we are. Here we are. Jesus is resurrected and now he's leaving again? He's getting ready to ascend to the Father. And don't you know they're fearful? They're thinking, okay, hold on. Uh, We thought we had lost you and then we got you back and now we're losing you again? What do we do? What, What are we supposed to do, Jesus? Are we going to be alone? Are you you coming back as our sense of security, which is you and with us? is Is this going to happen again? And it's in that context that Jesus speaks these words. And he answers that first question. What do we do with this? Verses 18 through 20. The very first part of 20, let me read it again. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's what he says. You wanna know what to do? Regardless of your calling in terms of occupation, regardless of your roles in life, whether it be mother, wife, husband, father, widow, orphan, whatever you, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever God has you, here's what you are to do. You are to embrace 
my way. So we embrace his way. We embrace his way. Why? Because he's king. Jesus is king, and if he is king, that means that we submit to his lordship. The two ways that we embrace his way is we live under his loving lordship and we take up his mission. You know, you hear that word lordship, and for me, I don't know if you're like me, uh, I don't know, but for, I, I typically kind of had this image in my mind of uh, Middle Ages feudal lordship where there's just some guy in knight's armor demanding that people bow to him. That's not the lordship that I want you to picture here. This is a benevolent, kind, good, compassionate, gracious, merciful, loving lordship of Jesus. Where he is wooing us into himself, causing us to see with new eyes of faith his glory and his beauty. And as we begin to see him with those eyes of faith more and more in all of his splendor and majesty, as Lord of all creation, as king over all, we begin to say, you deserve all of me. If Jesus is Lord, then that means that we don't just serve him in the parts that we want to. We don't just submit to him where, where we choose. His lordship is in its entirety and its fullness. It's not optional for us to pick and choose. And so we submit to his lordship. We put ourselves under his loving, kind lordship, but we also take up his mission. So you see the lordship part there at the very beginning. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And you see the mission part there behind it, which we have heard often if you've been in the church. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to observe all that I have commanded. This is the mission of the follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like to embrace his way. It's in submission to his lordship to be about his mission. And I wanna be clear here. Being about his mission is primarily in two key applications. The first one is in the proclamation of his mission the proclamation of his good news, that he is Lord, but it's also in the demonstration of the good news that he is Lord. It's both and, it's not either or. If you look back in the history of the church, if you go back even in the last about 100 years, right at about 100 years ago now, in the 1920s, there was a big divide within evangelical churches where there was a group of churches that began to embrace what we would call today the social gospel and say, you know, I don't know about this whole Jesus being the only way to God thing, and I'm not sure that these are the holy, inerrant, uh, infallible, God-breathed words of, of God, and, and uh, you know, I'm not so sure about this virgin birth thing, and I, I don't know about all that, but I just know this, we wanna love people well, and we wanna demonstrate the loving kindness of Jesus to those around us, to those who are underprivileged and needy and widows and orphans and so on and so forth. And so there was a group of people within the evangelical church that went in that direction. And in response to that, 
There were other denominations within evangelicalism that said, well, uh, this is the word of God, holy and inerrant, infallible. This, uh, Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, it's only by faith in him, and the virgin birth is biblical, and all these things that are critical and what we would say are absolutely central to the Christian faith. And so we have to proclaim those things. We cannot let go of those things. And so there was a group that went in that direction, and for the, for the uh, better uh, rest of, that doesn't make sense, for the rest of the 20th century, that was what they emphasized. And so there was a proclamation of the gospel absent of demonstration by and large. And over here, there was a demonstration of the gospel absent by and large of a proclamation. And what the Bible shows us over and over and over again, and what Jesus taught us and demonstrated for us is that it's both proclaiming in mouth and our words about the good news of Jesus, that he came to rescue sinners. But it's also a demonstration of his loving kindness and all the manifestations of what that looks like in our lives. Serving those around us, becoming servants to the least of these, giving ourselves, our time, our treasures, our talents to those around us. I'll illustrate by saying it like this. Um, let's imagine that uh, for whatever reason, before we came in here uh, a little bit ago, I was the only one who had looked at my weather app before I came in. And I was the only one because of that that knew that there, uh, there was a great F4 tornado that was gonna come through here and they projected that it would come at exactly 11.45, which is 10 minutes from now. And I knew that the path that they were projecting was straight through the campus of Perimeter Church. And so knowing that and being the only one in this room that knows that, uh, what if I just in about two minutes stopped preaching and walked out? You would go, what just happened? That was weird. I guess he had to go to the bathroom. Like what, what's, what's going on? I, now listen, I have demonstrated for you what you should do, what, what would be wise and good for you to do according to what I know. But I didn't tell you anything, so you don't know. You don't know what it's all about. You just think he's weird. What if, on the other hand, uh, I told you, hey, guys, listen, I don't know if any of you saw this. I suspect that you didn't, but I saw that there's a tornado coming in 10 minutes. Um, here's what's gonna happen. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna walk out that door and I would suggest that you follow me and we'll go downstairs, make sure that we're in the, uh, the safest place that we can be. And, uh, and so just know that. And then I keep preaching. And I don't leave. You go, was he lying? That was, that was weird. There was, it just didn't go with what he said. But if I proclaim to you there's, there's this tornado coming and I demonstrated by walking out, you would understand why I was doing what I was doing and you would follow. This is what God is calling us to do to a lost and dying world living in the darkness of unbelief to where we proclaim the good news of Jesus, the light of his gospel into their lives and we demonstrate his love to them as we proclaim in such a way where the two are married and people say, oh my, I, I long for that. 
It's not just service, and it's not just preaching. It's proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of Jesus. That's what it looks like to take up his mission, to be under his loving lordship. But you know they were probably asking that second question too. Are we going to be alone, Lord? Okay, so you're, you're ascending to the Father? Are we... What do we do? But then are we just here without you? And he tells them there at the very end, right there tucked at the, in the middle of verse 20, he says, and behold, I am with you always. So uh, in response to this fear that we all experience, this longing of the human heart, he says, rest in my presence. And so we rest in his presence. I've alluded to it already that when he ascended into heaven, not long thereafter, he, he, uh, he gave his Holy Spirit to reside within every believing heart to where you and I have the Spirit of Christ with us. His presence is with us. If you believe and follow Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. And Jesus tells us that is better. That is better than if I were with you physically. Do you believe that? We rest in his presence. When we think about the struggle it is to embrace his way uh, in proclaiming and demonstrating his mission, uh, two things that are great obstacles for us. The first one is fear that I've already spoken to. The other is arrogance. Many of us, if not all of us, fall in one way or the other. One of the reasons many of us don't proclaim the gospel to others around us and demonstrate his love to others around us is because we're fearful. We're fearful of what would that look like in terms of how people would respond to me. Would, would people reject me? Would family members think I was crazy? Would, you know, how would I be received? What would, what would happen to my reputation? Uh, what are things I'm fearful of, maybe the ways in which my life would change? Does that mean that uh, I need to stop doing some of the things that I'm doing? And so there's great fear. Others of us lean towards arrogance and pride. The struggle that we have that because we do know the truth of who Jesus is, in a weird way that's kind of confusing to me, we end up becoming arrogant to where we actually belittle those for not believing. I have seen far too many interactions on social media of people who know a lot about theology but don't treat others with anything remotely close to the kindness of Jesus. That make others feel stupid and left out because they don't believe like we do. And so here's the message of resting in his presence as it pertains to fear and arrogance. With, as it pertains to fear, we, we see over and over again that his presence makes us bold as lions. That he gives us his boldness, he gives us his courage, he gives us his strength, he empowers us with his spirit to say and do things that we normally wouldn't say and do in a way that is attractive and winsome to those around us. But in, as it pertains to arrogance and pride, he makes, us, he makes us meek and humble as lambs. He begins to soften hardened hearts that have grown over the years with knowledge that puff, puffs up, but not with, not with sensitivity and kindness 
towards those around us. And when we rest in the presence of God, when we rest firmly in the presence of God, taking up his mission, submitting to his lordship, then what we begin to see is we begin to see as his presence takes more and more control of our lives, we become people where fear dissipates and arrogance disappears. And we become a church that engages those around us in such a way to where we are living out faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully what God, what Jesus is saying here. And with that third question, don't you know they're wondering, when are you coming back? Will we ever have you with us again? Where is our sense of security? And he says there at the very end, he says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, which we know to understand and, and interpret as until I come back. We know from the rest of Jesus' teachings and from the teachings of the apostles that are recorded for us in, in the New Testament that this is what he's saying. He's saying that I'm with you always until I return. And so what are we to do? We are to boldly anticipate his return. That we are a people that aren't only remembering back, but we are daily remembering forward. And we're looking forward to that day with eager anticipation, with great hope, because knowing the end of the story saves us from our despair. Knowing the end of the story gives us uh, eternal significance in every moment that we have, even now. What we learn from Jesus over and over and over again is that he's not only a God who came to save us from our sins, as beautiful as that is, but he is a God who enters into and answers and speaks to every longing that we have. And one of the greatest longings that we have is for all things to be made new, to serve under someone who will make all things right. And it's not just a pie in the sky, I hope this happens kind of hope that the world talks about hope. It is a sure hope based on the promises of a faithful God who says, I will come again. And so his returning, what's going to happen, has every impact on today of how we live in our daily lives. In fact, I would be so bold as to say this, I am not sure that I would believe in Christianity if I didn't know he was returning. Would you? If there was no assurance that all this mess that we live in now and all the ways in which sin is still present aren't gonna be done away with? That we have to figure out some way to make things better and for thousands of years we've proven over and over again we can't figure that out. We make it worse, but there's one who is coming who will make all things new. There's one who is coming under his benevolent and good reign we will reign with him forevermore. And there will be no more sin and there will be no more sadness. I wanna show you something. There's a lot of modern worship songs that I love. But I think we're missing the mark on something critically important in the way that we worship through song. That the writers of hymns got. They got it over and over and over again. And songs that we have now sung for centuries, if you go back and look, it's always in there. And you know what it is? 
they, there's always a stanza talking about when he comes and we're with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Every time. I mean, listen to some of these. Some of the ones that we, that we sing often, the more famous ones, Come Thou Fount. In the fourth stanza of Come Thou Fount, and I found this to be remarkably interesting. Uh, in the fourth stanza of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, um, this is the verse we, I don't mean just we perimeter, I mean like we, like the church in America, we, we don't sing it. I don't know at what point we just went, yeah, and let's not do that one. I think it's possibly, maybe it's because it's so fresh to me when I looked it up, possibly like maybe the best Verse in the song, listen to what it says. It says, oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, clothed and in the blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy wondrous grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Take my ransom soul away. Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. Isn't that beautiful? The longing of the human heart to say, Jesus, would you come? Like you did before, but in fullness as you promised. Amazing grace, fourth stanza. You know this, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. All hail the power of Jesus' name, fourth stanza again. Oh, that with all the sacred throng, we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Blessed assurance. Second, third stanzas, they messed up the rhythm of the fourth stanza. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior and happy and blessed, watching and waiting and looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. How great thou art. Verse four, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. One of my favorite books on war that I've read is a book by James Bradley called Flags of Our Fathers. James Bradley is the son of Doc Bradley, who was one of the, uh, the five or six, I can't remember, men who planted the flag on the hill of Iwo Jima after a horrific day of battle. You've probably seen this picture before. It's incredibly famous. And what this day represented for these men was a small victory. But if you've seen this picture before, you might have assumed like I did that this was the end of that battle that we had stormed the shores much like Normandy in the European campaign. And the Americans had stormed the shores and won the battle and it was on to the next one. But actually this was just the beginning. This was the end of the first day of battle where they had conquered one hill that was seemingly at times impossible as the enemy troops were all entrenched and barricaded up within that hill. And so this shot was just snapped caught it in a, in a blink of an eye and it became an, a worldwide famous shot. But what ensued after that was 30 more days of even more horrific, despairing 
warfare. And as James Bradley tells many of the stories that happened on those 30 days, there were many of these soldiers who, if they were fortunate enough to continue living and fighting in this battle, they were losing hope by the day and they were entering into despair. And the despair was centered around, will this ever end and will we win? Will we be the victors? You know what was compelling them to continue fighting? They were compelled by something that they didn't see in the past and they were compelled by something they haven't yet seen and not sure if it would come. What they were compelled by in the past is uh, certainly the the belief in the Constitution of America that this is how we want to be uh, governing as as a country and for the people of the world, all that comes with that. But they were also motivated and compelled by the reality of Pearl Harbor, what happened on December 7th, 1941, and that drew America into the war. And these kind of things were compelling them in battle, but what was probably most compelling them was there's hope that this will one day end, but I just don't know. But they kept fighting. Now, here's what I want you to hear this morning. We have something so much greater. We're able to look back and we're able to see something we didn't see in person, but that we know that happened and that we feel the effects of today, the reality of a risen Savior who came to rescue sinners, but his work is in the process of being completed. And on that day, his kingdom will come in full, but we don't have to despair as those with no hope. We don't have to sit in the trenches of the battle of life against the principalities of the air, against the, uh, the, the sin that so easily entangles us and go, is this ever gonna get better? We can look at the scriptures and we can look to the face of Jesus with eyes of faith and we can say, yes, it will get better and he is coming and I will every day place my hope on his return because we are in Advent season waiting for his coming and that has every implication on my ability to keep going today we keep fighting because we have one who is victorious and he is coming back let me pray father thank you for this time together thank you for your grace and your kindness and your goodness towards us in Jesus thank you that you give us incredible amounts of grace every day is we are in the battle. And we trip and fall and we succumb to sin more than we desire. But you are the victorious one even when we are not. And you you are indwelling us and you are empowering us through your Holy Spirit as we wait for that day. And so Lord, we remember back to the great joy of the cross of what has been done. Your kingdom is coming and we look forward with great hope to the day when you come again. Stir our souls, O God, our hearts with great affection for you and for that day. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.